Yeah, actually, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I definitely wanted to share that. Um, I remember my first year in student works and, and just dealing with painters and a, and a production manager and customers and sales. And I remember thinking, oh my God, how can I keep up with all this? Like back then my organization and time management skills definitely you know, developed because of this program. And I keep telling myself, my God, like that's a lot to manage. Um, going through that and, and growing and, and now I feel like you, know, you cannot succeed without a balance. And, and that balances is a career, that balances a family, that balances your community, and that balances everything else that you can provide. Uh, and that started with my, I remember my first year as a franchisee and, and, and thinking, wow, that's a lot. And now thinking when I look back, it's like you could do so much more by just being more organized. Welcome to the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. My name is Chris Thompson, your host of the show and the head coach of the Student Works Management Program. This is a show dedicated to young and ambitious entrepreneurs and ultimately the leaders of tomorrow. Each week, we will bring you an inspiring interview or message to help you create the future you know you deserve. Let's get started. So leaders, I'm really excited to, to, to bring you a, a, a young person. He's 31 years of age, Ahmed Nazrat. Um, we dig into all sorts of different topics. Uh, he has had a, an, a very, very successful uh, corporate career. Um, Ahmed will describe where literally his, his student works uh, experience has got him you know, a decade ahead early on in his career. Uh, to, you know, really he feels like he's two decades ahead of, of, of where other people are in his, in his career uh, and what he's doing right now. At the same time, he's made, um, uh, he's, run, he's running now two travel, travel businesses. He's helping out with his community and running uh, local events. He's, he's gone out and raised over $100,000 for the MS Society, uh, you know, taking what he, he got here and his participation within our program um, and just made a monstrous, monstrous impact. So um, uh, great lessons here. I know you're going to love the podcast. So, uh, so I know you're really going to enjoy it. And, and again, I, I want you to think about, you know, just the one request I really have is, do you know any young, amazing leaders? You know, people who really are looking for big futures, really looking to do something amazing in the world. Please send them our way. Um, you can reach me at chris at leaderspodcast.ca for any feedback about our program or any young leaders. And please share our podcast with anyone interested in having an amazing, successful career. Thanks so much. So, Ahmed, thanks so much for joining us. I really appreciate you making time out of your crazy schedule. Thank you very much, Chris. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. I, I, I love to be able to share my experiences with you and with the organization. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, well, so, so Ahmed, why don't, uh, why don't you tell me what, what you were like before our program, before you joined our program? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. Um, so I, I went to Dow in 2004 and I joined Student Works in 2006. And uh, I had practically no work experience. So prior to joining Student Works uh, Painting, I did a couple of small part-time jobs, but I never had real life or real work experience skills. And uh, hands down, that's probably the number one thing that has changed. I was, uh, you know, to myself, I joined Dell with a goal of, you know, just graduate, you know, get a wife and, and you know, be an accountant and kind of do that. And entrepreneurial and managerial uh, skills were never something on my radar. And, uh, and that was me. I was just the person that just wanted to get a job and, and you know, do the status quo, you know, get paid a, a secure job and, and, and do that. Um, and when I attended the first presentation in, in one of the uh, classes for student works, it, it kind of was a light bulb. You know, be a manager, build skills that are transferable that can take you anywhere, um, build your experience that will last you a lifetime beyond just your academics. That's, you know, where I was and that's kind of how, how it evolved. So in a nutshell, I, I had very little work experience, very, work, very little relevant work experience. I was very smart in school, so I focused on that a lot. But right. from practical experience, I had none. I had very right. you know, other than a few part-time jobs. And how many years had you been in Canada at that point? I was, I moved to Canada in August, 2004, and I joined Student Works in the summer of 2005. So it's been right. a year, year and a half. 
So, so and you'd moved from Egypt? Yeah, I moved. So I moved from the Middle East. I'm originally okay. from Egypt, but I, I grew up in Kuwait. And okay. uh, that's one of the reasons why I also had very little experience because culturally in the Middle East, you don't work. You don't work to yes. university up until that point. You know, your family supports you because as a young professional or as a young person, you don't really find work or a job until you graduate and have a degree. So that kind of is a factor that contributed to the lack of experience. But yeah, I grew up in the Middle East and immigrated to Canada in 2004. Yeah, no, and I wanted to point out that just because what you know, one of the things is maybe a, a, one of our young listeners was listening. Wow, that seems kind of surprising, and it, it is uh, because, but but not surprising for someone from from you know out of the country, you know that sort of thing. And 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 you know, you you had all the proper paperwork to get started, and 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 we could see the drive and the motivation, you know, etc. Um, and uh, and again, I could see as well that there was probably a, a in some ways, a tougher learning curve. Did you see any things maybe from your perspective that was more challenging in terms of a learning curve? Definitely. I had a huge learning curve because of the fact that, again, I've never done anything like this in my life. Uh, and I've never went out cold calling. I've, I've never, you know, went door to door. I've never done a sales pitch before. Yeah. Um, nonetheless, every other element of the business. So for me, the learning curve was was much, uh, much longer than a lot of other people. But I, I, I worked hard and I, I stuck to it. And one of the things I, I, I always like to share is um, it's, it's one thing to run a business and it's one thing to run a franchise with a proven system. And that's huge. And that's probably one of the things that slowed me down in getting through the learning curve was sometimes because I've never done anything like this before, I would question or challenge whether I should be doing it. And it took me up until March to close my first job on the spot because I just was never, never thought that by simply asking, you know, let's paint your house. Somebody would say, yes, I figured, you know, the norm is people would just sit and think about it for weeks. And yes. the system and the processes and the training says, no, you just close, present well, do your estimate, present well and close. I just question the fact that I need to close and figure people just tell me yes or no. So yes. my learning curve was much longer because I challenged the system more than I should. And maybe that's a personality thing and I've never been through it before. But, um, but once I, I got it, once it clicked, things moved quite, quite faster for me. Uh, and, 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 you know, I made Mexico my first year simply because eventually the, the clicking helped put all the hard work that I was putting into the business into motion. Yeah, no. And I remember, I remember on it just, uh, you know, uh, just you had a really, really slow start and it was, you know, a slow start to your summer as a result of the slow start and the sort of resisting the process as it were. Um, <laughs> and then later on, again, just all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, he's getting it. He's getting it. He's getting it. And, uh, and then just for our young listeners, Ahmed went on to be a, uh, a multi-year operator and a multi-year district manager and really helped develop a lot of amazing leaders in our program. Um, so, so what do you still rely on uh, from the program, Ahmed? Well, I got everything. So uh, when, I, when I left Student Works, I, I got a, an amazing opportunity to join Sobeys, which is a national grocery store, grocery store chain. Sorry about that. And uh, they... Um, I like to say this, the comment was when I when I, I did an interview and I showed up was we never hire externally to be a manager with us. You know, you spend 10 years in the business, you start as a clerk and you work your way up as a department manager and then a store manager. And uh, they were willing to take me on into their store manager program after interviewing extensively because of my experience with student works. So everything, I mean, um, every single element of, of what I developed, whether it's communication, whether it's, it's uh, the people skills and, and leadership and, and organization. Um, being able to manage time effectively and, and juggle 50 things at the same time. Every element of, of what I gained through the summer management program through Student Works Painting was, uh, was valuable in, in whether it's in my managerial experience uh, with Sobeys or further on in my finance experience, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but uh, uh, it's, it's, it's been a value. Like truly these transferable skills fit, um, you know, and, and they fit with me every step of the way uh, since, since leaving the program. Right. And so, so Ahmed, why don't we speak to some of the results that you created at Sobeys? And again, for our, for our listeners, maybe in markets that Sobeys isn't super powerful, they're a super powerful grocery chain, one of the major, major players in Canada. And, and they started in the East Coast. So, so they are the dominant player in the East Coast. Yeah. So that's a great question. And let me, I want to rewind a little bit. I remember a first conversation that I had with an HR talent manager uh, when I first uh, connected through to Sobeys. So what opened the opportunity, and I, and I missed that part, what opened the opportunity with Sobeys was that in 2007, after running my business for the first year, I saw a big poster at Dell for a scholarship. And it's yeah. called 
Frankie Sobey Award. And this is a, a scholarship in Atlantic Canada that's given to six business students in all of Atlantic Canada and all the universities. And uh, I said, you know what? I have a, a solid GPA. It was about a 3.8, which met their minimum. Their minimum was 3.75. And I had my business experience. And then he said, you know what? Let me let me apply for this scholarship and see if I can make it. It's a, it's a decent scholarship and a great award. And, uh, and I applied for it back then. And uh, there was a big debate over my GPA because the university wanted to put a 4.0 person through as a recommendation and not mine. But my student works experience really stood out compared to all the other candidates from down. And every university is only allowed to put forward three names. They can't submit it. So they eventually went with my name because of my student works experience. And right. that might be kind of met the minimum. Uh, you know, afterwards, the dean came and said, you know, we're so glad you did because you were the only person from Dow to receive this award. Right. And, uh, and the feedback that we received was, yeah, your academics are there, but you know, you're the only person with such a solid business experience. So that Franken Sobe Award is what opened the network for me when I graduated to connect with Sobeys and say, listen, guys, I'm looking for opportunities. You guys gave me an, an, a scholarship in, in 2007. What is there within this big organization? And I got a phone call from uh, HR talent, uh, Sean McInnes at the time, great gentleman, who, who said, you know, let's talk. And he said, you know, what are you, what are you looking for? What's your goals? Right. Said, well, today I'm running a business. I'm an entrepreneur. I'm running a business that, you know, I was a general manager at the time, Student Works, that had about 20 franchisees across Atlantic Canada, something like, um, you know, 150 or 200 employees when you count painters, marketers, and so forth. Right. And he said, you know, uh, and I said, you know, we generate $400,000, $500,000 of revenue a year. And his response was, well, what do you want to do with that? And I said, I want to grow that. And he said, how do you feel about running a business that does on average $30 million of business? and has well over 200 employees. And I said, that's exactly what I'm looking for, but I have right. no idea what you're talking about. Right. I nothing about the retail business at the time. And he said, right. our, our grocery stores, our average grocery store would do $30 million worth of business, would have nine to 10 department managers and well over 200 employees. I said, that's where I want to be. And that was kind of the, the, the kickoff. It, it was you know moving from an entrepreneur, starting a franchisee to a general manager to, to, to then a manager with Sobeys. Um, most of the managers that I operated with. So in, in one year, I finished my store manager in training. In one year, I was an assistant manager. And as soon as I went through that, within the first few months, I was getting offers from, from areas across Canada that uh, wanted store managers and recognized what I was doing in my store. I didn't want to move uh, and leave Atlantic Canada. So I was patient a little bit. And eventually, within less than a year, I had my own store. I run one of the fastest growing stores in, in Nova Scotia and quite frankly in Canada, in one of the newer areas of Halifax and in Bedford. And we were growing double digits a year. I was adding, you know, 20, 30 employees every month to the business wow. to grow the business. And uh, and uh, and really, you know, one of the one of the best operated stores. But the foundation of all of this was going back to the basic skills that I built in, in running my business and, and running my first painting business with, with Student Works in 2006. So um, that's the, uh, you know, that's kind of the, the progression, the progression that happened there uh, with, with Sobeys um, during the time. And, and I spent five years in total in, in a managerial role with Sobeys before going into finance. And that was kind of the progression, the progression of what opened that door for me. And so when you see those store, the store experience and, you know, as an assistant manager and later on grow, you know, working with this fast growing store, what did you see? What sort of similarities did you see uh, in your role as, as an operator and running your own business or as a district manager and, 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 and leading, uh, leading the business out, out, uh, out in the uh, Eastern Canada? That's a great question. It's similar in every way, which is quite amazing. Uh, you know, I had 10 department managers that I had to deal with. That's no different than managing production managers, than, than dealing with painters, than, than also if you're a general manager out there, than dealing with a team of franchisees. Um, right. Coaching and developing them, it's funny. Whether you're a university student or whether you've been, you know, working for 30 years, you have the same challenges. How do you motivate people? How do you help them stay more organized? How do you help them schedule their days better? How do you help them stay on top of it? Goal setting. You know, the, the, the concept of goal setting has been around for hundreds of years, but people still don't get it. And they need somebody yes. to coach them and develop them and, and hold them accountable to, to driving that. Uh, every one of these is the same. The people side of the business is the same. The customer service side of the business is the same. When a, when a franchisee gets called up on the phone or gets called into a job site because a customer needs help or has a challenge with, with one of the projects, my God, you know, every now and then I'd be paged to the customer service desk. 
customer and, and how do I solve that and how do I make their day better? And it, it's quite fascinating. We're the interaction day to day on the sales floor at the store with customers day in, day out that need help. Um, it's, it's every element. It's, it's the, 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 the managing the people. It's the customer service and dealing with unhappy customers and how do you make their day better? Uh, and uh, quite frankly, it's even sales. It's, it's how do you, how do you look at your growth of your business and how do you ensure that you know, the, the, the store is in the best shape possible. It presents that impulse buy uh, and, and helping customers get more product in their basket to grow their to grow the sales of the business. So every element of running a painting franchise fit in nicely in, in, in every element of running the store. And what's even better is because I dealt with that at a younger age, the challenges of the store did not feel as stressful as it would have been if I was dealing with that for the first time. Oh, for sure. I would have seen it in a different form and I was able to deal with that mm-hmm. in a calm and easy way and in an organized way to be successful at it. Right, right. Yeah. And, and just just for our young listeners, you know, basically the average store manager was uh well, sorry, Ahmed was a decade younger than the youngest uh, other the youngest other store manager, right? So he's I was, yeah, I was, younger than I was, a, I was a store manager at the age of 25, 26, and most managers are in their in their mid-40s. <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly. So so pretty, pretty crazy. And and I guess at, at, a, at a certain point, you felt like, hey, why don't I use this, this, uh, you know, the, the, all the finance training and the, um, and the, uh, you know, uh, uh, the training that you got at Dalhousie and you moved into their finance department. So what yeah. was that experience like? Yeah. So that, 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 you know, when you get into a program like student works that you're always looking for more, uh, you're never content with, uh, you're never complacent. Uh, you're never content with what you have and you always want to grow. And as I spent uh, three years in my store manager role, I, I, I recognized very quickly that for me to advance as a director, move up in the corporate world, uh, or even as an entrepreneurial side, I need more, I need more growth. So I started my CPA, which is the Chartered Professional Accounting Designation. And I had my course requirements from Dal already fulfilled. So starting the program was uh, as simple as making a decision whether I wanted to go into it or not. And it was something that I could do while I'm working. So I started my CPA and, and um, a year into my CPA, I recognized very quickly that I need to move into a finance role to help me complete my CPA, but also grow. Um, so yeah, I, I, I got an opportunity to to move into a hot office in Skeleton, Nova Scotia. And I took over as a, as a financial analyst there. And that was now taking a, a spin to my career where I'm building my finance experience in addition to my managerial experience that I had for, for five, six, seven years with uh, with uh, Sylvie's and, and with Student Works, And it was awesome because now all of a sudden I'm, I'm taking numbers and I'm taking more analytics um, than, I've, than I've ever had and built it, into, built it into my managerial capacity. And I did that for three years while I was with Sobeys. I, I was a financial analyst for a year. I was a retail accountant for a year. And then uh, a lot of restructuring was happening and they put me into national budgeting and, and forecasting. So all of a sudden now, instead of just dealing with Atlantic Canada, I was doing budgets and forecasts for for. 200 plus 300 plus uh, uh, stores all across all across the country right right and I know I know one of the things for our young leaders who, who who listen to our podcast it's it's really important to sort of also understand you know the business that you've chosen what sort of opportunities are, are there for you and so Sobeys is, is is still ripping it and still doing extraordinarily well but Ahmed was concerned after the restructuring well hey how fast uh uh, what's when's the next opportunity? When's the next role going to happen for you? And you felt like you were kind of concerned, right? And so, what did you what did you do then, Ahmed? Yeah. So uh, with the restructure, I my job wasn't an issue because you always need people to to create the, the core of, of the organization, which is the role I fit in. But to move up into a director's role, into a senior manager's role, uh, those layers were being eliminated slowly to, to cost cutting and being more efficient as an organization. So I looked ahead and I recognized very quickly that, you know, I had a goal of within two to three years of being in finance that I would take over as a senior manager or director. And I realized that road was going to be a lot longer. So I started uh, scouting opportunities around to see what is there and uh, came across an organization that I was passionate about for years and passionate about their product and, and what they did, which is called Just Us Coffee Roasters. Um, and Just Us Coffee Roasters is actually a worker cooperative based in the Valley, based in Annapolis Valley with the office in, uh, in Grand Pre in, in Nova Scotia. And they were seeking out a financial controller, somebody with finance experience, but in addition to that, somebody with managerial experience that can help uh, manage the finance department, but also the financial direction of the whole organization. And I was uh, quite excited to pursue it. One, because it's a, it's a worker cooperative, which is very different than my corporate world. Two, because I knew it'll take me back to my grassroots entrepreneurship 
I'm playing a bigger role in a managerial role of the organization. Um, and three, because I, I love the product. Uh, I love just us, uh, organic, fair trade, and quite frankly, in a very competitive market like coffee, uh, they're able to be very successful. So I pursued that and I applied. And within a couple of weeks, uh, they called me up for an interview and I interviewed in, in a very similar story to Sobeys. Uh, they offered me a position and said, you know, we have to tell you this. Um, you know, our requirement was 10 years of finance uh, experience. If it is what we look for, you have three, but you are the only candidate to present a very strong managerial communication, people skills. All the other finance guys were just all about the numbers. Uh, they, didn't right. get it. they couldn't communicate to us effectively. We need somebody to teach us the numbers and somebody to guide us in the right direction to grow this organization. And uh, you had three years of finance, but you had such a solid managerial experience combined together. We need you here and, and, and we feel you'll be a solid addition to our team, which, you know, again, it goes back to that piece of that I mentioned earlier, that transferable skill, even in finance, right. being a financial controller or being somebody that, you know, does finance and bookkeeping and reporting, that managerial experience stood out and, and presented itself to this organization and said, uh, you know, come on on. And again, a financial controller, you know, they're they're in their they're in their mid 40s, to early 50s, and I'm here right now, I'm 31. <laughs> so again, it goes back to you know passing on that experience and growing that experience, and, and all starting back to 2006 when I uh, when I got accepted uh, to to join the Student Works team, which uh, I always remember and always share with with everybody that I know for sure. Are you enjoying the episode so far? I'm sure you've heard the saying, it's not what you know, it's who you know. I've always thought that saying was inaccurate. I believe more accurately, it's who you know who think highly of you and would be willing to refer you. I want to let you know, I put together an amazing package for you. The four referability habits advantage. These habits are so powerful that when followed, they completely change the game for people and allow them to operate on a whole other level. If you're interested in getting your hands on the four referability habits advantage, just jump over to www.leaderspodcast.ca slash habits and download it for free. These habits will help you gain the respect of everyone you deal with so that you can land those important referrals in your life and business. Once again, just go to www.leaderspodcast.ca and download the Four Referability Habits Advantage. Now, back to our Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. So again, for our leaders, you know, by, by growing and expanding your leadership early, you, your, your next steps in your career are just more and more you you just are ahead of the, the 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 curve, you know, and and so so now in your early thirties, you're where most people are in their mid forties, uh, which is which is really great. And I know you're with a company you love, which is really fun. Um, and uh, I know you've just been there, you know, a short period of time. So the one place I was going to jump to is one of the other things I always love love to highlight for our leaders is we attract people into our program. What I like to say with big engines, and you know that, right? People who like to work a lot, who want to work a lot, want to make a big, big difference in the world. So, you, you know, if, if people have heard, you know, Ahmed on top of a very successful career completed his CPA. Okay. Now, one of the other things he did that people don't know is he's got a side, a side gig. You know, what's, what's the term now? They always talk about it you know, um, is, is sort of a, you know, what's your, what's your side, side angle. And, and so you basically are running businesses on the side. So why don't you talk about that? Cause I definitely wanted to share that. Um, I remember my first year in student works and, and just dealing with painters and a, and a production manager and customers and sales. And I remember thinking, Oh my God, how can I keep up with all this? Like back then my organization and time management skills definitely, you know, developed because of this program. And I keep telling myself, my God, like that's a lot to manage. Um, going through that and, and growing and, and now I feel like, you know, you cannot succeed without a balance. And, and that balances is a career, that balances a family, that balances your community, and that balances everything else that you can provide. Uh, and that started with my, I remember my first year as a franchisee and, and, and thinking, wow, that's a lot. And now thinking when I look back, it's like you could do so much more by just being more organized. So in 2010, uh, when I joined, you know, in my, in my career starting off with Sobeys, I did not want to leave my entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial grassroots. I wanted to that alive. And I'm also uh, uh, passionate about scuba diving and passionate about being underwater. So in 2010, I decided to run a, or start up a scuba diving travel business. Oh, when did you first scuba dive? 
I started scuba diving in 2004. I got certified oh, in 2003. I got certified when I was uh, 15. Awesome. Uh, so, so yeah, so that's how long I've been as a diver. And I said, you know what, what a great opportunity to keep my business life alive in starting a travel business. And a lot of divers that I know want to go travel around the world and dive in the Red Sea, where I'm originally from, or dive in other places. So in 2010, um, I started Atlantic Adventure Divers, which is a scuba dive travel business. And uh, the goal was very simple, just keep my entrepreneurship life alive in addition to my work with Sobeys and raise a little bit of revenue to help pay for my travel and, and stuff. Yes. Dude, you know, nobody nobody will say no to having extra income. And if you can travel for free, that's even better. And that was the goal back then. And after running a couple of trips, the business grew so fast. But I took on a partner in Toronto who's helping me manage the business. And, and people just kept calling and coming back and coming back, which was kind of key. Um, so that started in 2010 and it grew. And, and we started looking at more destinations above the Red Sea. We started doing East Africa, Asia, and so forth. And then uh, said, you know, what, what can we do more? And, and uh, I, I feel like I need to be doing more. So uh, a year ago, we, we started another business, me and my partner together, called African Express Adventure. And that was primarily focused on Kilimanjaro climbing, mountain climbing, and safaris. Uh, I, fell, I fell in love with East Africa. I fell in love with safaris. And I fell in love. I climbed on Kilimanjaro for the first time last year. And said, wow, you know, I'd like to do more of that. So we started a year ago, African Express Adventure, again, based in Toronto and Halifax, focused on um, travel and specifically East Africa travel and doing safaris in, in all the countries in East Africa and mountain climbing. Um, and, and that, you know, that was, uh, you know, another step in continuing to grow my entrepreneurial skills uh, in addition to continue to do what I do today in my career and what I love. Um, but again, it goes back to work-life balance. So now um, I have my career. Now I have two businesses that I manage. I got married a year ago. Um, no kids yet, hopefully soon, but no kids yet. But balancing that and uh, then I decided you know what I feel like I still have some more time on my hands so um, about six months ago uh, I'm, I'm of Muslim faith uh, and I, I practice religion um, consistently and, and again work-life balance is also about spirituality in, in every way it is that's yeah. in keeping, keeping you having a great life and a happy life and I decided you know what I have so many skills that I can share with the community um, and I need to do I need to do more with community. Um, so so I, I said, you know, why not reach out to the Muslim community center in Mosque and say, listen, I do scuba diving, I do hiking, I do biking, I do travel, and yeah. I'd like to do I'd like to do more um, to to share this with generations that don't know anything about it, especially that a lot of um, these families are immigrants that come to Canada that have never experienced a camp before. Um, yes. Or a hike before anything like that and i sat with them and they got excited so in addition to running my business i also run weekly events every weekend with the community center um to uh, to go camping to go hiking to go biking this past weekend we did a camping trip in kijimikuchik national park which is one of the top national parks in canada it's here in nova scotia we had over 100 campers of wow. all just show up and we you know i had about eight volunteers with me we did everything from activities to feeding them to helping them set up their tents and everything else uh, it's all about work-life balance. It's all about how do you do all that and uh, and still, you know, still still be balanced and still have a happy life. And every now and then people come and say, I don't know how you do it. And and I remember asking that question back in 2006 when it was just running the student work spending business. Oh, my God, how am I going to do this? It's all about building that organization and time management skills and, and, and making that work to you instead of you running around in 50 different angles at the same time. Well, well, also as well, I'm sure it's also how do you enroll volunteers to come help, right? So it's not this is Ahmed's doing everything to manage 100 people because that wouldn't work, right? Yeah. You know, so you're, you're again, you're engaging a community, you're getting volunteers, they're, they're handling things. So, so yeah, and, and, and isn't it great that it starts from running your first, you know, $85,000 business to now you've got, you know, all these things going on in just just an amazing, amazing fashion. Um, definitely, definitely. One of the other things I wanted to speak, and it's something that we really share um, a real alignment about, uh, and that is 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 uh, you know raising money for for causes. And and I know as a as a as an operator, every one of our operators go out and raise uh, ten dollars for every job, so that they raise a significant amount of money every summer. And then as a district manager. You know, your your region used to raise an additional five thousand dollars every year, which was just incredible uh, for MS and the National Society. And I know as a company now, we're we're up around a million and a half dollars raised. And 
when you went to Sobe, all of a sudden I saw Nash, I saw I, I saw events being run with Sobe and and you enrolling people at Sobe, and now and now I, I I see that continuing on your Facebook feeds, LinkedIn feeds. Yeah. So so you know you know what have you done around around raising money for MS, and how do you see that as 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 part yeah. of a full life? I built a very strong connection with MS from Student Works. I remember my my first conference, which was in Toronto at the time, the the store, the franchisee training session in January. And I remember the MS Society asking a question to the group, you know, who here knows somebody with MS? And everybody raised their hand except for me. And I came from part of the world where MS did not exist. Yeah. I saw that that was the light bulb moment. And, and, and I realized back then I need to do something different. My ignorance about this disease should be a motivation to help me do something different in the disease that's very strong here in Canada. And that was the strongest connection I ever built with MS. Um, 13 years now doing the MS bike tour. Um, and, and I tried to push like when I was a franchisee and then a district manager, we created a team. And then when I moved into Sobeys, we created another team. We have about an annual team at the MS bike tour that's about 20 riders plus. And uh, I just got the total so far in the last 13 years of race through Student Works through Sobeys, and now through Just Us, we have a team. We've raised over $100,000 just in the That was so amazing. That was so amazing. Alone. And that connection comes from my time with Student Works. But wow. it's also about how, how do you give back? In 2016, yeah. I, I needed, after I finished my CPA, I said, you know what, I'm going to take some time to myself. And, and I've been working really hard uh, as a franchisee, and then with yeah. Sobeys, and you know what, I want some time to myself. I managed to convince Sobeys to give me a two and a half months of leave of absence. And uh, I took a vacation, but uh, for some people, you know, you think about a vacation, you go backpacking in Europe, or you go backpacking in Asia, or if you have a little bit more money, you might do a more luxurious trip. Um, I decided to fly to France, get on a bike, and bike across Europe. So I started in France and finished in Serbia. I biked 3,300 kilometers, all for IMS. So it was a unique vacation where I took two and a half months to myself for self-discovery, for personal development, but I also use that as a fundraiser. And my challenge was uh, to raise a dollar per kilometer that I bike when I raised $3,300 for MS. So when it comes to doing things for fundraisers, it's not extra work. You can get to what you're passionate about and what you do day in, day out. You know, if if you go on a vacation, could you challenge yourself to to use that to do more than just spend money and have a good time? If you love biking and and you do a big biking trip once a year, could that be a fundraiser and, and support your community? It goes back to that work-life balance and how do you fulfill all the different circles in your life to be happy. It's not about more time. It's about using the time that you're doing today to give back in addition to everything else that you do. Um, so that's my piece around MS and, and what we still, what I still do today in, in every organization that I go and try to, to, to use my sales experience to recruit others to join my team <laughs> yeah. and, and fundraise and, and help support this cause and, and give back more more to our community and especially MS, which is a huge disease here in Canada. Yeah. And, and it's funny. Um, I can just feel and hear the passion and we have that same passion for making a difference. And one of the, one of the things that I find is, is when people sort of feel that passion and that commitment and that excitement, then it's like, Oh, wow, I want to keep doing this. I'm, I'm excited about it. And that's, I can tell you're hooked. You know, we certainly are hooked in our business. We're we're hooked to uh, to make to make a difference and to contribute and do the things that are going to make a make a big difference. Um, you know, and just to share, like for our listeners, you know, Ahmed, you know, was not a quote unquote biker. I remember because he raised so much money. Corey, our vice president, and I bought him a bike. Um, uh, you know, gave him a big surprise bike years ago. And so he went on his first MS bike tour. And when you're going up a hill, you're supposed to make the gears go easier. So it goes easier up the hill. So Ahmed, Ahmed made it harder to go up the hill, um, thinking that's what he should do. And uh, really, really challenged his first bike ride. But I know he's got the gear ratios right now. Yeah, well, I'm actually glad you, you mentioned this, Chris, because, yeah, my first bike tour, I hadn't biked since I was a kid, and I was too arrogant at the time. I was young to train, and I just figured you just get on your bike and go, and I only did 10K out of the 45 kilometers. I only did 10, and I was done, and simply because I was shifting wrong, and I wasn't in shape, and uh, I wasn't on the right bike either. So Chris at the time and, and Corey surprised me the following year with, uh, with a, a beautiful hybrid bike. But I've been doing the MS bike tour on so far for 13 years on that bike. Oh, is that awesome? That's the same bike that I packed with me and took to Europe. 
invite oh. the class here up on. So I'm glad you mentioned that because I forgot I forgot to share that with the listeners as well. Well, that's that's awesome. And to me, it's just it's 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 uh, not a pat on the back for Corey and I. It's 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 a isn't it great? Like just where you came from to to where you are. Like you know, super fit and doing thirty three hundred kilometers. That's just awesome. So um, one of the things, you know, we've been talking about lots of, you know, successes, et cetera, et cetera. But what about, what about failures or mistakes? And what did you learn from those, uh, Ahmed? Yeah, that's a great question. So the, the biggest one I shared initially in our, in our podcast here is uh, don't, don't challenge a system that's proven. And, and you learn, you know, you, you learn that because it ends up slowing you down compared to mm-hmm. people around you. And that's, uh, that's a huge, uh, huge one that, that I want to encourage all of our listeners to focus on. If you know that it works or somebody, you know, has been done for who knows how long, you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You don't right. need to start something new. Um, the, other, the other big advice uh, I will share is uh, whenever you hit a speed bump in your career, in your business, um, don't let that take you back. Uh, don't let that uh, slow you. As entrepreneurs, uh, we all fit differently on the risk scale. Some of us take a lot more risks than others. When I started Atlantic Adventure Divers for the first time, I was a big risk taker and I, I wanted to do more. And I went out and, and said, you know what? Without measuring, without having a proven system, just going off gut feeling, I said, I can make this huge business work. And I know people will buy it without even testing if people will buy it or not. So my first trip, I just went out and I chartered a full dive boat. He said, you know, 25 people on a dive boat, I can do this. I chartered a full dive boat without selling a single ticket on the boat. And I said, yeah, oh. no problem. Oh. I ended up only selling six, six tickets on that boat, which ended up costing me about 10 grand. Um, uh, awesome trip because the people that went had a whole boat for six of them, which was a great experience. But it was a big cost to me. And I learned very quickly, no, you can't just jump into things without measuring without testing without challenging and without making sure that makes sense no matter how big of a risk taker you are yeah at the end of the day if you're in a franchise environment you know don't challenge something that works and don't try to reinvent the wheel because you might cost yourself more money than you do and if you're starting a new business you know look at getting experience from mentors from people around you that have done this before have done a similar business so you don't take more risks than you have to that's hands down probably the best advice I can give anybody going into this business or, or starting a business from, from scratch per se that would make that would make a huge difference. Always surround yourself with people that are that are that can give you advice that can help you. Always surround yourself with people that will lift you up. Uh, as as human beings in general, we like to complain more than be positive. And that's probably another thing is don't don't let yourself get dragged down by the negative people out there um, because that can take you down more than anything. When my first trip uh, with Atlantic Adventure Divers, when I lost 10 grand on that, a lot of people already said, oh my God, you should shut down this business. It doesn't make sense. And nobody's right. buying it. And if I would have listened to them, I definitely would not have this business today. We're, you know, we're, we're almost 10 years in the business now and it's, it's doing very well for us. Um, but I had a partner with me that, that I took on that said, no, like this works. You know, let's look at the system together. Let's look at the process together and pick me up. And luckily that I listened to him. We kept the business going and now we have two travel businesses, not not one, which is which is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. And and I think one of the things is for me is is if you are going to be going into well, life period, there's gonna be setbacks, there are gonna be challenges, things aren't gonna go the way you want. And if you're, you know, I don't know, you just stop. There's no learning, right? And 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 so you know, you learned a whole lot, that stung. And as a result of that stinging pain, you'll never do that again, right? Like, you know, isn't that a great lesson to have at, I know, however old you were, 26, 27, 25, whatever you were, right? Like, isn't that great? You know, so, so it's, it's uh, you know, and that I think a lot of times people feel, oh, that doesn't happen to other successful people. No, <laughs> it's lots of pain. You know, that's just how, that's how it goes. That's how life goes. You know, I think, um, you know. You know, expecting expecting pain and expecting that that what actually um, you know you actually want you know anti fragile. You want to become anti fragile. You know, it's like if 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 I'm if I've just been beaten and challenged and beaten and challenged, that's when I'm ready. That's when I'm a warrior, right? Like it's like you know that's that's what's really powerful. Rather than oh everything's been made easy for me. No, I'm not prepared for the battle. So so I think that's so critical. Definitely. So, so if, if someone was considering venturing out into the entrepreneurial world, what would you, what advice would you give them? I'm going to give them the one advice, Chris, that you gave me back in 2006 when I joined Student Works. And it's a quote, and maybe you can tell me the source because I can't remember. Yeah. Complacency is death. Yeah. 
Do not get complacent. Do not accept the norm. Always challenge yourself. When you're an entrepreneur, you can't be complacent. You have to always look at getting better and better and better at what you do. If a whole year or even six months pass by and you're doing the same thing you've done before and haven't improved it anyway, you will vanish as an, as an entrepreneur. Other businesses yeah. you and you're not going to grow. Complacency, hands down. I live, I live that value in everything I do, whether it's running a business, whether it's finance, whether it's, it's every element is is complacency is death. And I can't recall how many people I taught that to and shared it along. And that, that's a thank you to Chris because you, you shared that with me the first time in our yeah. first conference uh, back in 2006. Yeah, no, that's great. I love, I love that as well. And it's just a, you know, that, you know, don't, don't stop, don't settle, you know, and again, and, and, and as well, like when we think you mentioned happiness earlier, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about happiness, Ahmed, and I'm not so sure, um, you know, like there, there is a space called happiness, you know, happiness ensues from what we're doing. So I believe you're happy and I always see you smiling and happiness is because we're focused on growth. We're focused on contribution. We're focused on making a difference for other people in our life. And as a result, then we're happy. You know, if we focused on happiness, like, you know, what that might mean, I know, parties or, and not necessarily just parties, but, you know, things that quote unquote, just make us happy. It's life, life, life isn't so happy, right? Like, you know, it's, it's kind of like that growth, those challenges, those, no, it's never enough. And and again, in a good way, okay, I want to go do this and look what you're doing on weekends, making a difference in all these people's lives. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You've nailed it, Chris. Definitely. So, um, so if someone wanted to do what you do, what key habits would they want to steal from you? What's the secret to your success on it? The number one habit would be organization and time management. Um, nobody wings it. Nobody wakes up in the morning and just wings it. Um, you know, when you look at my, and, and, and I started building this experience with Student Works and continue to grow it because learning never stops. But if you, if you come over and look at my desk, you'll find a, a big day timer that has everything, that has my goals, that yeah. has my weekly plans, my monthly plans, my annual goals, my six-month goals. Uh, you can't just wing it. You can't wing it to be, to be successful in your career or running a business or anything like that. There's a solid plan that you follow. And, uh, and, and once you have that there, everything becomes manageable and easy. You just have to put the effort in. So writing that plan, setting your goals, and then organizing your time to meet your priorities. In life, we get met with so many things that we think are priorities, but they're not. Right. Um, ability to say no, I learned that through Student Works as well. And again, yeah. through Chris and through Corey at the time, everybody wants your time. And if you say yes to everybody, you're never going to go anywhere and you're going to be in circles. That ability to know what your priorities are, what your goals are, and say yes to what are the high payoff activities and no to the activities that will waste your time. Uh, that makes a huge, huge difference. I remember, uh, go back to my university days when I was, you know, in the, in the, in the winter when we we're doing cold calling to book estimates. And there is nights where you have two choices. I can go out with my buddies and have a dinner or go to a movie or something at a prime time when I could be doing a few calls, but instead, you know, waste my time. And I could be doing that fun stuff at another time, which doesn't make sense. If I just said yes to my buddies every time, I wouldn't have moved anywhere. That's yeah. a minor example. I, I use it in a simple way because I know there's a lot of students that listen to this. But that actually replicates itself in so many ways in your life as you finish university, as you grow. So setting your priorities, setting your goals, and organizing your time in a way to meet your life goals in every bucket, whether it's your family, whether it's your career, whether it's your community, whether it's your spirituality and your, and your, your religion. Um, these all are priorities and goals that you have. You need to write them down. You need to have them there in front of you. And then you need to try to plan on a daily basis, on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, and on an annual basis to help you achieve your goals. That's how you can be successful as an entrepreneur or in any career if, if, if you want to grow in, in your life and, and feel like you're able to do it all. So there's one advice I can mention is take your learning that you're taking today from your district manager, from your general manager around goal setting, around organization, around time management, and build it. And it never stops, no matter how successful you are. If you look at the top CEO, you'll find that they have these tools in place that are helping them organize their time and be successful. And I'm sure, Chris, you probably have tons of them that you're living your life with because I know how many things you're involved with in addition to family, your kids, the community, managing this massive organization and so much more. There's no, there's no doubt. And, and again, it's, 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 it's fun. It's challenging. It's, you know, again, a lot of times people think, oh, as you get more successful, uh, I don't know. It's easier. It's less, you know, no, no, no. It's, it, you know, it's not easier, uh, uh, but you're capable of more. 
you know, you, the, the person you were in 2006, you were just so different, not 13 years later, you are just capable of so much more. And then again, you know, um, the world calls out for you to do more, right? Like, so again, it's, it's, it's like, uh, and you've, you've, you've done that, which is, which is really awesome. So, uh, you know, congratulations. Uh, I think you're just a, an amazing example of a young person really making a huge difference in the world on it. So thank you very much, Chris. So the last, last question, when you think of a leader of tomorrow, what comes to mind? I think of a leader of tomorrow as somebody that's successful at maintaining balance in all elements of their life. Not just somebody that's amazing at running a, a CEO, that's amazing at running the best organization, but their family life is falling apart. They're not contributing to their community. They're not, they're not giving back in, in many ways. A leader of tomorrow is somebody that can be successful in all buckets of their life. They're given their time into their career. They're given their time into their family. They're given their time into their community. They're given their time to themselves as well to be happy in, in what they do. That's truly what a successful leader is. And to be able to do that, you need to have the skills in, in all these areas uh, to be successful. Hands down, um, we can talk about communication. We can talk about influencing people. We can talk about all these things that are critical for a leader. But you'll never have these skills if you're not able to maintain that balance in your own life and all the buckets and all the different things that you do day in, day out. Yeah, no, I think you're so right. And, and the other thing as well is, is that, you know, for our young leaders, you know, frankly, I could imagine someone thinking, oh my gosh, like li literally, oh my gosh, Ahmed has so much going on. What? He's running two businesses. He's running these community events. He's, you know, he's, he's, he's married. He's got this, the controller role. It's like, uh, he's, he's, he's doing these huge bike rides. Oh my gosh, how can he do so much? Well, you know, what people need to know is again, is, is that by going and getting involved and taking more on than who you are next month or next year, you're so much more capable of doing more. And I can tell by, again, you know, I know most people just watch our, listen to our podcast, you know, Ahmed's happy, he's engaged. It's, it's, it's like, I'm, I'm not running at 99% of my capacity. No, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm contributing a lot, but I'm getting rest. I'm managing myself, you know, so it's, it's, that experiential part of it. Because again, in life, it's not what I know to do, because a lot of people know that they should contribute to their community. A lot of people know that they should help people less fortunate. But what are people actually doing? You know, and it, you know, a lot of people know, gee, I should, you know, complete my degree to go and get better jobs in the future. But what actually are they doing is what really what matters. And that's huge, Chris. And I didn't touch on the learning as much. Any email that goes out from me today at the bottom, there is a code that I also took from my days in student works. And that code is that there's no parking on Success Avenue. Ah. And every email for the last 10 years has been going out in every email. And it's a consistent reminder. We know that we got to do these things. But how do we continue to improve and grow so that we can do these things with what we, with the time and the abilities that we have and do it better and better? Um, and that's that's the key thing. Uh, being a leader and being successful is about growth. Uh, I can touch on health, which is a big thing. But one of the things that I, I always look at is health. And I'm not just talking about eating well, uh, because we all know that we need to eat well, but we still go and eat junk food. Um, it's about how do you grow and how do you make it a priority like everything else. I remember when I left the store as a store manager with Sobeys and went to the office, I moved from a role where I was running around the store dealing with employees and customers to sitting on a desk. And a light bulb came on. So it goes back to this. There's no parking on Success Avenue. A light bulb came on and said, came on and said if I don't do anything different in my lifestyle right now, my health will deteriorate because I'm moving from a lifestyle where I used to uh, run and, and walk everywhere to sit on a desk for eight hours and maybe walk for five or 10 minutes during that time. So yeah. I decided then, no parking on Success, Success Avenue, that I got to do more on my health. And I started running, which is something that I've never done before. Wow. So now I'm biking and now I'm running. So then I'm like, hold on, there's no parking on Success Avenue. Can I swim too? I used to swim as a kid. And I said, yeah, I can swim. And then the next step was, what about triathlons? I heard about that. I remember Corey, who's a VP at the time, I used yeah. to avid triathlons. I said, you know what? Why not do a triathlon? So from going from a goal of, of just being healthy to challenging myself to do more so I don't park there, I said, you know, okay, I'm going to do triathlons. And the first thing you do is you Google what a triathlon is if you don't know what it is. And uh, the first the first thing that came up was something called Ironman. Yeah. I'm like, this is cool. And, and again, if you're into the student works program, 
you're not an average person. You're typically seeking big goals. Yeah. So when you hear Iron Man, you're telling yourself, yes, that is what I'm going to be. And that is what I want to be. I want to be called an Iron Man. Okay. I clicked on that link and I discovered very quickly what that involved. And, and what it involved is not just a triathlon. It's the longest distance triathlon that exists. It's a four kilometer swim followed by a 180 kilometer bike ride followed by 42 kilometers running, which is a marathon. All yeah. at the same time, you have to complete it in 18 hours. And I said, can I do this? And being, again, no parking in Success Avenue and challenging yourself, I said, yes, I, I think I can do this, um, but I need some time to train. And I set myself on a two-year goal plan. In November 2017, I completed my, my, my Ironman for being no athlete to being an Ironman. In so you did an Ironman? I did an Ironman in November wow. 2017. My goal was to finish. And then I said, no, 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 that's not a goal. A goal has to be measurable and attainable. So I put a time of 13 and a half hours and I finished it in 14 and a half hours. I finished it in Panama City, uh, Florida. So going back to that, there's no parking on Success Avenue. Wow. You continue to challenge yourself all the time because you never stop learning and in every element, even in health. You don't stop learning in health and how you become healthier. <laughs> well, I, I, I was not aware of that. Congratulations. That is really, really uh, an amazing feat. And it really is a, a you know, a, a feat of commitment, a, a feat of I'm just going to, you know, just just put in the work and, and the commitment and the, and, the, and the hard work to go and get that done. That really is awesome. And, and again, for, for listeners, you know, Ahmed is not, you know, certainly again, you know, uh, was not a natural athlete, right? You know, that's not hard. Exactly. And it's just like, no, Hey, I'm going to go do this. And, and again, what a, what a great example of, of again, stretching yourself and continue to take yourself to the next level. Well, well, Ahmed, Thanks so much for uh, spending time with us on the Leaders of Tomorrow podcast. Just a wonderful, wonderful talk here. And uh, you, you enjoy your day and we really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Chris. Hey, leaders. We've got a ton more interviews like this one coming up in the next few weeks. So if you're listening and you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe to Leaders of Tomorrow. If you enjoy our content, please give us a share on your Facebook feed, or better yet, tell your three most driven and entrepreneurial friends about this podcast so they can join us in discovering what set these powerful business leaders apart from the crowd at such a young age.